Okay, the P4B is back on the air with episode 18. Today we have a great guest coming up. Having written a book and promoted it uh, gave me the opportunity to meet Susan Kelly Garrett. Uh, people hear me talk a lot, especially over at the Revolt, but sometimes here too, about, about phony fighters and keyboard warriors. Uh, the people who talk a good game online, talk about getting our government back and working for individual liberty and blah, 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 blah. And then you give them an opportunity to do exactly that. They go real quiet. Susan is not one of those people. She actually put her money where her mouth is and a few years ago, and she's going to talk about that experience and uh, uh, along with other things that, that are reasons I had her come on. Uh, so let's bring on Susan. Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. And here she is, Susan Kelly Garrett. Um, in the process, I already did your intro. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Joining us now, I was in Mississippi. I live in Mississippi about three and a half years ago. Uh, I was involved down on the Gulf Coast uh, with Phil Harding. I think you might know Phil. Yes, I do. He's pretty active. And things were looking pretty rosy for conservatives in Mississippi at that point. Uh, what's the atmosphere now in Mississippi? Um, I, I believe that there's more conservatives in Mississippi than uh, anywhere else. The problem we have in Mississippi is we have some conservatives who say they're conservative, yet when they get to the uh, House and to the Senate, they sort of become mainstream to get along with everybody else. <clears throat> uh, case in point, Jeremy England, who is the senator from in my district, and I help him. I helped him in his campaign. I knocked on. I can't even tell you how many doors, and we did events. And he claimed he was all conservative, and yet when the uh, income tax bill came up for a vote, he um, had his um, head with. Delbert Hoseman, who is the lieutenant governor, and he uh, voted against a across the board state income tax reduction. So they uh, finagled a, bit, a bill that four the, if you were in the four percent bracket, you're in you didn't pay income tax, but if you were in the five percent bracket and above. You still paid income tax, but your income tax went down to 4%. So I asked Jeremy, I said, so I'm still paying income tax. Well, he kept hemming and hawing. I finally cornered him and said, okay, let me get this straight. 
The 4% went away, but the 5% are now 4%. So I'm still paying income tax. Yeah, you're right. But he claims he's a conservative. So, you know, in the, in people who want to be conservative, they pick and choose which part of being conservative they decide to be. Do mm -hmm. they want to be conservative on the money side or do they want to be conservative on the social side? Right, you right. Can have and, it both ways. <laughs> uh, they spend too much time, I think. Uh, you read the book that I wrote years ago, right? I spent a chapter on what I called phony issues. Dump the phony issues. And uh, conservatives would be a lot better off sticking with fiscal responsibility and individual liberty than fighting either way over social issues. Now, there are exceptions. You know, the uh, uh, Obamacare, which cut a swath through almost a quarter of the economy, warfare, interstate trade, things like that. Conservatives should get involved. Right. But the, the less we do on the flowery scale, the more we can do on the responsible side. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the quotes, it's somewhere in this list, I'm not even going to try to look for it right now, talks about the lack of understanding of coin and credit and debt and how economies work. And it's that ignorance that has put us on a trajectory we're on now. But you actually, you actually put your money where your mouth was for a while, right? You actually ran. Uh, I have only run one time, and that was for school board, and that was back maybe ten or twelve years ago. Um, I've done lots of campaigning, and I ran for school board when I lived in uh, the city of Gautier, which is on the coast. Um, I live twenty miles now um, north of the coast. Oh, we were homies. But, I had no yeah. idea. I thought I thought you were way up in Jackson. No, I live I in Van Cleve now. I used to hang out in Gautier and Van Cleve. Oh, that was my well, stomping cool. grounds. Uh, we're, um, so, you know, I ran for school board because that's one of my passions is school. You know, it, until people understand the school system and what we have and why we have what we're getting out, the product that we're getting out, people don't most people, unless you have a child in school, you don't know what's going on in school. Right. And, and even, even then you don't. And even then you don't, especially at the high school level, because most high school um, administrators, principals, teachers feel like parents don't need to be involved anymore because the child now is a teenager and a young, you know, an upcoming young adults, so they can make some decisions on their own. But in reality, a 13 and a 15 year old is very immature. And in today's time, a 13 and a 15 year old is even more immature than when you and I were 13 and 15. That's that's a fact. And and we were immature compared to our parents. I, you know, right. Uh, when you look at yeah. some of the uh, the evolution of learning, uh, a long time ago, I looked at a, a piece online, 
And, and you can verify this by looking at writing, people's writing. But a kid in 1920 was more articulate, more hardworking, more responsible by, a, by an order of magnitude than the average, than even we were. And I thought, right. and we, we were okay. We weren't too bad. But what we see today is disturbing. It's very disturbing. And, you know, there are some school. Now, I substitute teach. And um, so I get to pick and choose when I want to work and what grade. And my grade level is uh, the fourth and fifth grade. I'd like to do third grades, but the third grade, they move the third grade to the lower elementary. And um, so anyways, third and uh, fourth and fifth grade. And the things that these kids are learning is not something that's going to help them in the long term. They're, they're hardly even learning how to read. So you have a fifth grader who is uh, taking a math test and the math tests are basically uh, word problems. They can't read a word. I mean, they can't read. So how are they going to put a word problem, take words out of the problem and make a math problem out of it when they can't, not only can they not read, but they can't understand, they can't comprehend what they're reading. It is, it, it, it's just amazing to me how the school passes these students and it's all to do with money. Right. All they want to do is, is get the money and flush it through the system. The, the, right. the results don't matter, it seems, anymore. Well, I know here in Mississippi, and I'm sure every state is the same way, there is a certain number of, of failed past students. So say you're in the third grade, and right now Mississippi has this reading gate that you have to pass a reading test at the end of the third grade to move on. Well, if you've not been able to read in the first and second grade and you continue to get passed from the first grade not being able to read to the second grade not being able to read, now you're in the third grade. And at the end of the third grade period in April is when they have the reading gate test and you fail it. Somebody's failed along the way in the first and the second grade mm -hmm. because there is a certain number, like I said, of pass fail. So you have like maybe uh, I think the number is like you can only fail like one or two students in each class. So the teacher has to pick, OK, which student am I going to fail or am I going to fail any students at all? That that's not fair to the student, nor the parent, nor society, really. No, no. And 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 you you end up getting social promotion. Right. They're, they're not they're not promoted or failed based on any kind of strict evidence. It's based on money spent and room in the next grade. Right. Right. And how much? Yeah. And how much money? I mean, you know, the school systems get a big bucket of money from the federal government, all school systems. Then most of them get money from the state. Then then the city or the county kicks in money, depending on 
you know, what what are other buckets of money? Now, you know, uh, I don't know if you know, but in um, Pascagoula, Pascagoula and Gautier is one school system. So you have the city of Pascagoula and the city of Gautier, which is the same school system. And that right. happened a long time ago because Gautier wasn't incorporated when Pascagoula was a school. And so the, the students from Gautier went to Pascagoula until the numbers of population went up in Gautier. They get money, they get another bucket of money from Chevron, like millions of dollars. From Chevron? Yes. Huh. And Chevron is, you know, you know what Chevron is. I mean, right. the, the it's a refinery here on in, in oh. Pascagoula, which is really in the county. It's not really in the city. It's in the it's in the Jackson County uh proper. Uh, and it's on the coast. And several of the school district sued uh, the Pascagoula school district to get some of that money. And I don't remember why the judge judge uh, why the judge uh, ruled in favor of Pascagoula, but they ruled in favor of Pascagoula that they would continue to get the money as long as Chevron was doling it out. And the other schools were, you know, left without this other bucket of money, which I'm not crazy about schools getting a whole bunch of money because they don't do well with um, using their money right, that they're right. getting anyway. I don't know how much that comes to down there per student. But I think D.C., the last figure I heard in D.C. was $27,000 per student per year. Yeah. And half of the time they graduate functional idiots. Right. It's, I mean, uh, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's. You, you want to say it's not the kid's fault. To an extent, they are what they've been taught to be. You know, at some point, a lot of kids do overcome. Failed right. teachers or failed parents. But that's a hard that's a hard road to hoe to to take your entire upbringing and and your and the culture you've been plopped down in and refute it right and the parents accept the social advancement the poor results they don't get involved in the kids work the teachers i don't care what the teachers union commercials tell you do not care about the kids as a group no. Maybe individual teachers do. I know good teachers. But I also know, as an army, there's no real passion for the kids in the, in the process uh, of education anymore. No. We could, we could do away with the Department of Education and keep <laughs> the money in the states to begin with. Well, we can thank Jimmy Carter for the Department of Education. Um, you know, that's a whole nother subject to go off on. But um, I know that there are teachers who are concerned about their students and their learning. I think me seeing as a substitute teacher being sort I'm sort of in it and I'm sort of not in it because I don't have to um, play the, you know, the politic um, playbook when I'm when I'm there, I have to do right. what the teacher wants me to do, right. but I don't have to, 
you know, be nice about it afterwards. Right. Uh, I think when it several of the issues that schools have, and I think this is across the board, I don't care whether it's a charter school, a private school, a public school, uh, you know, college, kindergarten, is discipline. Kids have little or no discipline at home. So when they come to school, they think they can continue to get away with what they get away with at home. And it's hard for a teacher, you know, you've got one teacher in the fourth grade, her class with anywhere from 20 to 25 students. Say you got five of those students that are somewhat a discipline problem. We can go from the one level up to the 10. So how do you, how does a teacher discipline five students and teach 25 students? Right. And then when and then when the teacher doesn't have support from their principal or the top administration, then what's the point of the teacher trying to discipline a child? Yeah, we had we had corporal punishment when I was growing up. And with one exception, one real lunatic nun, it worked. If if the kid if the kid has a healthy fear of you, it may not make him a genius, but it'll definitely make him shut up. So yeah, so the other kids can learn, you know. Right. And yeah. Wait, well, go ahead. Another one of the issues with and and I'm running with the school thing since you told me to <laughs> run with what what's my passion. Um, I find is they're students that love attention. So they're going to do anything that they can get, that they can do in order to get the attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's, if it's good or bad attention, they're going to do it. Right. Whichever way. And I usually call a student out. I, I'm not, um, I'm not one of these substitute teachers that are really nicey nice. I've had students call me the devil teacher. <laughs> <laughs> students say, Miss Garrett, I never said I didn't like you. I, I think you're great. So, you know, I I know I'm making somewhat of an impact when it comes to um, doing the right thing. I hope I am, at least, in that situation. Well, substitute teachers are motivated by the desire to actually teach. A career teacher has other interfering motivations, including the politics and the unionism and the, 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 the squirreling away of money and, and on and on and on that interfere with the teaching process. You're, you're not motivated by that. You don't have to worry about that as, no. a, as a substitute yeah. teacher. Yeah, but, um, that's what I tell the, ki I tell but, the kids. I say, look, um, your job is to get an education so you can be a functional adult in society when you get a real job. My job is to follow the teacher's rules and directions for teaching you today. If you follow, if, if I'm following her rules, then you have to follow her rules and we'll get along fine. But if you don't want to follow her rules, then I'll just send you to the principal's office. I have no problem 
sending you to the principal's office. And they just look at me. They, they think I'm kidding. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, the, the, the flip side of that is that the parenting, the last two generations of parents coming up, the ones who gave the, their kids participation trophies for everything they did. Uh, their little snowflakes are perfect. There's nothing their little snowflake can do that would be anything less than perfect. And it makes it even harder for a good teacher to deal with the issues when the parents themselves get mad at you because you're trying to actually teach the kids something. Right, right. You know, di discipline comes from the same word as disciple. You're trying, the parents and the teachers should have one goal in mind, creating a good disciple. Whether that kid goes on to be a movie star or a football, uh, football hero or an accountant, the kid will figure that out. And right. they'll know what to do when the time comes if we make good disciples of them. And that's where we've fallen flat. Right. We, we, well, another we, thing you, <laughs> you brought up about uh, unions, thank heavens, Mississippi doesn't have a union yet, but who knows down the road, you know, for, for school teachers, but we yeah. don't have one yet. They want to campaign, you know, they, they want to say that they're all for education of students, but they're not. It, and, and, and the unions aren't. The unions are not about teaching they're not about supporting teachers and they're not about supporting parents you know it's all about money and whoever's running the union getting more money as a matter of fact i heard um on a talk radio show earlier this morning where there's only about six six percent of uh people are in the whole united states that are a working age uh, are in a union, yet the Democrats continue to placate to these unions. It's it's unbelievable. It's that the, it's the, they cannot let go of the concept of the collective. This is this is you're going to see this writ large very soon. China, for example, is. A great big giant economy standing on toothpicks right now. They are going to collapse. China is going to collapse in a huge way. Uh, the Democrats in this country will probably with some success sell us on the idea that we now have to carry China. Right. We now have to do things to give China huge advantages to try to keep try to keep that monster alive because if China fails, that proves once again, communism is a failed system. It doesn't work. It can't work. And in, in a world of declining demographics, which is what we're looking at now, China is doomed, but we, but they'll, they'll struggle to keep it alive, to keep the idea of the collective alive. And that's why they continue to throw money and political power at unions. Right. Because <laughs> they do represent a voting block of some sort, but they also represent this, this constant mode of propagandized uh, collectivism. And yeah, 
That, I think I think we're stuck with that. I don't know. I hope not. I hope not either. I I just wish that people who uh, are in unions would recognize what the union really is about. You know, maybe back in the 20s, 30s, and even mid-40s, uh, unions probably were a good thing because they did help the working man in getting things that, you know, a collective group of people couldn't get because they couldn't get through to the government. And now, you know, starting with, I guess, LBJ, really, we have all these laws about um, uh, equality and safe environment and so forth and so on in the workplace. So the union really at this point, I think, is a moot point. However, to your point, the unions have a lot of money. I don't know how I, I don't believe that they have a lot of power, but they have a lot of money that the Democrats love to get hold of. Mm -hmm. Now, there are Republicans who take union money, I'm sure. But the Democrats have always been about unions and supporting unions because they're, you know, getting that money. But as far as the working person, I can't even, somebody with just a little bit of common sense, you know, you sit down and think, what is the union really doing for me? And why am I paying these union dues? It, it doesn't make sense to me. And, and, and if you, and when they go on strike, they'll say, oh, we're going on strike for safer work conditions. So they get the safer work conditions. But the thing that get that that the sticking point is always the money. And right. the more money the union member makes, the more money the union leadership is going to make. So they'll get better working hours, safer work conditions, all kinds of considerations. But when it comes down to the paycheck, I, we, we have teachers in some parts of the country who are making huge amounts of money with just a little bit of seniority. And the unions forced that issue. And the way they did it is the unions and the Democrats negotiate against each other in, in, in the cities, in the, in the counties and the cities. Right. And when you have uh, unions supporting candidates and then negotiating with those candidates, you don't have a real negotiation. You know, no. And, and, and to that point, people who don't understand that process of where candidates get their money from and then they vote for them. And then afterwards, they, you know, maybe a year later, they go, well, I didn't know this person was like this. It's because you didn't vet your candidate. You know, yeah. and that's a I mean, we can go into that right now about candidates and what they actually run on and then what they actually do when they get where they are. Well, nobody follows um, that anymore. It's just no. their guy. I, I put this in the book too. And I, I do talk about this one a lot. They send a guy to Washington, say a, a Senator retires. So they have to put a Senator in that seat. That Senator comes back every few months, holds a few meetings, gets on TV tells his people, I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy. 
it's all those other asshats back in in DC that are the bad guys. They're the stupid ones. I'm the good one. And of course, you know, uh, a lot of people may have met the guy. He has name recognition. Maybe their uncle goes golfing with him. So they believe it. And that's why we have a 95% incumbency incumbency rate, get people getting reelected in an right. organization that's about as popular as the Taliban in this country. Right. Which be the Congress. <laughs> yeah. I tell a lot of folks, we have 535 people that get elected. Now, you know, that's not a lot. 535 the Senate and House of Representatives that we elect every two to six years or maybe four years who make law for 300 million people. And I bet you, if you really looked at the whole voting um, population across the board, that less than 40% of the actual voters vote especially at the, uh, the Senate and the uh, House of Representatives uh, races. Yeah, midterms, yeah. Vote. And that's, you know, that's another reason why we get what we get is because we don't have, well, first of all, we don't have an, an intelligent uh, voter who can actually go to the voting booth and vote not on a one issue, because most people are a one issue voter. Right. But look at the overall uh, candidate and what their position is. The other problem with voting is primaries. People do not understand what a primary is versus the general election. And that's totally. And then they get to the, we get to the general election and I've worked, um, primaries before. I've, mm -hmm. I've run primaries. I've been a poll worker. I've been a poll watcher. So I've seen everything that you could possibly see. And I hear people say when they go to, you know, cast their vote, well, I thought I was voting for John Smith and Mary Doe. Yeah, two why months ago. Yeah. One? Right, yeah, right. Because that was in June. <laughs> It's it's so, amazing I, the 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 uh, the level of ignorance when it comes to politics is frightening, and and yes, people feel well I just don't have the time. Okay, you get what you you get what you get, whether you like it or not, right. because you don't right. have the time. It doesn't take much. What did what did our parents do every night when they got home from work before they even before even turning on the TV? Almost well, my, Say again? My parents read the newspaper. Correct. Correct. And back then, all politics was local. You did get national input. Right. Certainly about your legislators. But you sat and read it. And when you read your thinking, when you're thinking, you're comprehending and remembering. When you're watching CNN or Fox, your brain is not on. Right. You, have, you have the brain activity almost as quiet as when you're sleeping. And people feel like, well, I do watch my uh, news shows and uh, I get on social media and I bitch about things. 
So I've done my part. But they haven't learned anything. They, they, they're susceptible to that guy I described a few minutes ago. I'm the good guy. Just, right. just, just remember that. You don't remember anything else. Uh, well, that is the problem. And the other problem is the federal government is doing 90%, 95% of what it does. It has no business doing at all. The Constitution well, the, doesn't the, support it. Right. The problem with what we have now versus, I don't know, 100, even 100 years ago, probably it was bad. You know, Woodrow Wilson was the, the start of the progressive movement as much as people don't want to understand his presidency, but they need to go back to history and read what type of president he was. But we elect somebody to represent us. They do not do their job because they're too lazy to do their job. So we have 435 people in the, ha in the House, in Congress, who are supposed to be making law. Yet what they've done over a course of I don't know how many years, they've put a department together. We got the Department of Energy, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Education. You know, the list goes down on and on and on. So now we have these departments who make regulations like that's a law, but it's not really a law. The law only comes from Congress, right. the Senate, and when it's signed by the president. The other thing that we have that we're dealing well, with. How that, how, that, uh, how that comes about is Congress writes the laws in such a way as to cede their own power to bureaucrats to write the regulations. That's where the, reg the, the regulators get the power. Uh, Instead of having simple laws that are enforced as written. I'm right. sorry, go ahead. The other thing was? That's because they're too lazy to write a law. That's simple. Right. The other thing is Congress has allowed the office of the president to over extend their executive powers. Um, and the Constitution does allow for executive powers to the president, but not, I don't think our founding fathers even Very thought few. that, uh, yeah, that it would, you know, be ramped up the way it's ramped up now. That's because they're too lazy. And, you know, until... John Q. Public understands how government is supposed to work, not how it's working, not how it's meant to work, but how it's laid out in the Constitution, how it's supposed to work. We're going to keep down the track of where we're going. We are. And we don't have much time left. My next, uh, uh, my next podcast will deal with the concept of time. Uh, versus what needs to be done to keep the American experiment alive. It's on life support. The concept no, of the United States of America, we may continue to call ourselves that, but uh, to a tremendous extent, this organization, this geographical location called the United States, has almost nothing to do with the Constitution 
which made us the United States of America. We could call right. ourselves, you know, we could call ourselves Central North America with the same meaning, you know, as what we have right now. And we have to get our shit together quick. Now, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. I like to make sawdust. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I have been working in a wood shop for over 40 years now. Um, my first project was a dining room table. It was the ugliest thing you ever saw in your life. It was a big piece of plywood with the little legs that you screw in the bottom, a little bit of cheap trim, and what was supposed to be cherry stain. It, it turned out to be this ugly orange table. And when you put a jug of milk on it, everybody had to wait for the table to stop wobbling before they could eat again. It was awful. But, and I've said this to people before, who have, who, people all the way, way back when, who saw that table, if I had never built that table, I never would have built a bedroom set for my son, Ken. And I never would have built a four-poster black walnut bed for Phil. And Pat wouldn't have gotten his living room set. These are all things that came out really good that I built later because I stuck with it. But the learning curve was brutal. All my drawings were in my head. Uh, anything that was on paper looked like cave drawings that only I would understand. So I came across a program that I wish I had seen a long time ago. Ted's Woodworking Resources. It includes 16,000 plans. I've seen people who would sell plans for, say, Anirondacks chairs for 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Worth it. If you can, if you can get a plan for Adiron Adirondack chair for 20 bucks and do it the way the plan says you do it, you can make those things and make a lot of money or you can make a lot of gifts. You can decorate your lawn. To, to pay a few bucks for a set of plans is fine. This is 16,000 plans. And I, I got to tell you, I, I would have paid them for the free stuff. It's going to take me forever and a day just to get through the free stuff because there's things I want to build already in there. Uh, Lynette needs a new chair to sit and read on when she sits outside. Her wicker chair is destroyed. So just going with the freebies is great. And you get the 16,000 plans along with the program. So I would definitely, if you're a woodworker and you want to bring the joy back, just the, just making the sawdust, ripping through the tools, getting the job done, and getting that satisfaction, you definitely need to check out Ted's Woodworking. I would absolutely highly recommend it. I'll leave a button or a link in the text below the audio or video line. <laughs> Let me see if I can pull up a quote that deals with some of this. Neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. That's right. And that... Samuel Adams. Sam Adams. And if you just shot that out to somebody on the street, I don't think they would get it. 
No. I think the average person would say, well, you're talking about corrupt people. Well, we are corrupt people. <laughs> That's We've become that in our in our laziness, in our lack of time to, to, to research the people we're putting into office and calling office holders our leaders and believing the president's job is to run the country. These are common phrases. Everybody uses them. Corrupt doesn't necessarily mean you're taking dirty money from somebody. Corrupt can be the corruption of your thinking. And I think, by and large, that's what Samuel Adams was actually referring to, not just the corruption of, of your finances, but the corruption of your mind, your thinking, right. your actions. And wow. <laughs> you, it, I, I pulled it's amazing. That. Go ahead. I said it's amazing to read um, the writings of our founding fathers and other people during the Revolutionary War and, you know, further on uh, up until probably the Civil War. And they're thinking of how people should um, consider the United States and what the purpose was of the United States. And, you know, they fought for liberty. I mean, they fought for freedom, but they actually fought for individual liberty. Correct. And once we lose individual liberty, we have lost freedom, as in the freedom of uh, the government. Because when you you lose your individual liberty, you're giving over that to somebody else to run your life. And that's what the founding fathers fought against. I mean, that was the whole um, purpose, I think, of the Revolutionary War was to be a free individual, a liberty-minded individual in a free society. Right. Um, I've heard it said that the government's job is to perform the functions for us that we uh, that we don't want to do or it's not practical for us to do them. Like each individual cannot trade with France. It cannot right. arrange to get their own goods brought here. I mean, you could, but how practical would that be? So foreign affairs, foreign trade, interstate trade, um, policing. These are the things that we can't or uh, 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 for any one of a million reasons, wouldn't want to do. But that's the camel's nose under the tent. And if you're not vigilant, and this is what happened in this country, not only the federal government, but even state governments to, to, some, to some extent, have bit by bit by bit started doing things that you wouldn't want done at all. Not just that you wouldn't do yourself, but nobody would really want done except for a select few individuals. And that's rooted in the, the other concept that Adams and Franklin both spoke about. And that is the republic is safe until people realize they can vote away other people's wealth to themselves. Right. 
when you put those two concepts together, you have a form of moral hazard. A person can be yeah, well, inspired to, pardon me? I said that's a moral corruption, really. Correct, correct. A person can elect to be lazy and not pay any attention at all, in which case the experiment starts to collapse. Or a person can be actively corrupt and live off the efforts of other human beings. Little bit, okay. Safety net, okay. Live your life out of my wallet, that's not okay. You know, right. take take from the state, but not, not contribute anything in the way of, of work in the private industry to, to make the world better. That doesn't, that doesn't work for me. And that's why we're weak. That's, that's, that's what's occurred right under our eyeballs. But I like your, I like a lot of the quotes you pulled down. Where do you get them? Uh, um, have you ever heard of the Patriot post? No, no Patriot post. Yeah. You need to, you need to uh, start reading that. And then I, uh, well, I have books, different books on um, quotes from our founding fathers. And there's another website called, um, I think it's Liberty Quotes is where I get some of these quotes from. So, mm -hmm. you know, I like, like I said, I have my, my little books and, um, and those other two things. But the Patriot Post is really uh, a good, it's an email and it's free. I mean, you can, you know, pay them something. Um, but I really like their writing. And the reason I like their writing is because it's about facts. I'm, I'm not an emotional person. I'm not a feeling person. If I'm dealing in an issue, I want to know the facts. I don't care how anybody feels. Your opinion is your opinion. Just give me the facts and let me make up my own mind on how and what is really going on. So I really think they do a good job on uh, stating facts and giving um quotes of what people have said in their fact-based little articles. Are they as good as the P4B? The who? The P4B over here. <laughs> uh, about the same. Okay. All right. I'll take, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll call that a vote of confidence. This is something, this next quote, we had a chance to do something about this several times since 1971 when we became a fiat currency where money is printed out of thin air. And we didn't do anything about it. We didn't fight it. We let it continue. Uh, and it will work to our peril. But this actually comes from the Napoleon Bonaparte. And I believe he was probably talking about the Rothschilds. When a government is dependent on a banker for money, they, and not the leaders of the government, control the situation, since the hand that gives is above the hand that takes. Money has no motherland. Finance, financiers are without patriotism and without decency. Their sole object is gain. The danger behind 
a Rothschild organization or the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve is in every sense of the word, they run the show. Right. The the government that we have today, they go through the motions. They they write laws that almost entirely um, deal in the distribution of other people's wealth, almost entirely. And that wealth doesn't exist in reality. They can only take so much from us before people say, no, I'm not giving you 60, 70% of my income. And they have to make up the shortfall. And the shortfall is greater debt to the central bank or greater debt to other countries or other countries' central banks, which is, I guess, the World Bank makes up that organization. Um, but I thought it was interesting that something that profound, something we should be listening to, came from all people, Napoleon. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. It's funny how um, some people, you know, e even today, have a profound a statement or quote when you know, in fact, they don't really think that way. I mean, you know, you can look at their life and you can look at um, how they, other things that they've said in the past and you go, wow, he must have really had a um, epiphany when he, when he made that quote or yeah. that statement. Yeah. And, and, uh, the statement, the statement can be said of anybody who lends money to a government or uses the authority of the government to move money. You know, you could say what he, what, bon what Napoleon Bonaparte said, you could apply to Bill Gates or George Soros or Klaus Schwab. Are you familiar with that nut job? Right. Yeah. Klaus Schwab. <laughs> what a lunatic. This guy dresses like a Klingon. Uh, Al Gore, these people state plainly their intention is to manipulate governments and economies until they control your life because they know better how to run your life for you. Right. They don't even hide it. It's 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 stated at their meetings. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. These people are yeah, and crazy. And people um, follow them. I mean, they just right. think they're, you know, there's a group of people that just think that that type of thinking is wonderful. And they're in the federal government. They are running the White House. You know, mm -hmm. Ron Claim, Susan Rice, backed up by Barack Obama. There's no way Joe Biden knows what he's doing. He can barely get oh, through it. Now. I know. So those well, people run where, the show. Right. I read and, where Susan Rice is leaving. Uh, can't be soon enough. It can't be soon enough. I mean, but she won't actually leave. She just won't be sitting in that office answering questions right. of people. She'll still be in a position of huge power. Uh, Jarrett, Valerie Jarrett is another one. These people are all 
Davos World Economic Forum people up to their eyebrows, as big as Bill Gates or Al Gore, maybe bigger, in that organization. Mm -hmm. And they're running our government. They're, they're putting this country in a position where we will become dependent on or obedient to, probably a better way of saying it, to these wealthy people. I have nothing against wealth. Oh, I'm, I a don't free, I'm a free market freak. But my life is not for sale. These people have decided they're going to buy it anyway. If they can manipulate our government enough. This was a good one. Thomas Saul. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Thomas Saul. I have, I have five authors that I really like to read. And he's like one or two. Bill Buckley and Thomas Saul. Somewhere mm -hmm. tied for first. If you believe in equal rights, then what do women's rights, gay rights, etc. mean? Either they are redundant or they are a violation of the principles of equal rights. Right. Now, I, I never read that quote before. That was the first time when you put that up. And I used to question all the time. I used, I used to state all the time. There's no such thing as a gay right. There are rights. There are rights and there are injustices. Those two things oppose each other in this in the in the universe. If someone mistreats you be, and you happen to be gay, they haven't insulted your gay rights. They've insulted your rights. The same rights that I have that you have, that everybody has. Right. Regardless of your race, regardless of your sex. Now we have trans rights. You know, I know. Aren't we in, living in insane times? We're, we're living in crazy times. Mm -hmm. that, Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated. <laughs> um, some years ago, I, it's been longer than some years ago, uh, people started talking about, you know, um, same sex marriage. Yeah. And and the reason that they most of most of the uh, conversation about same sex marriage was well when a man and a woman gets married then they can go on the same insurance or they have a will so whoever dies they can get whatever and I'm going well it doesn't matter if you're a man two men married or two women married if one one of them wants the other person to have whatever's left over when one of them dies, you just write a will. I mean, that that's common sense. As far as the insurance, you know, I'm sure that that was one of the issues, but you know, the whole thing about people, like you say, people's rights, we are, everybody has the same rights, regardless of what you are or who you are or, you know, what you want to do with your life. What I find very, um, I wouldn't say disturbing, but it's very, uh, I'll use the word offensive to me. It's very offensive to me to say that my rights are 
not as important as yours because you're gay or you're trans or you want to be same sex marriage. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what Cole so, was saying. It's a violation of the right. principle to say, right. you know, you can get $10 because you're straight and white. I get 15 because I'm gay. Or right. I go across the southern border uh, with no consideration for the paperwork and the laws involved. Uh, and now I don't even get arrested because when the cop stops me, when the border patrol stops me, I say, I am transgender. Mm -hmm. Off you go. <laughs> I mean, not even vetted now. Not even, okay, hang on for a couple hours so we can figure out who you are. No. I come across the border. Man stands in front of me. Bah! I'm Mildred today. I'm transgender. In you go. That is the violation I, Thomas Sowell was talking about. Right, right. And I don't understand this thing. I, I just don't get somebody's concept because it's it's somebody who's thought of this, who has thought of that in, in our government. Well, I don't even think it's our government because... It's not a government that I want to be a part of. It's somebody that's been appointed that's a wacko person that is placating to the smallest minority of people to get what? I don't know what they're going to get out of it. That's that's the other disturbing thing to me is that people who are trans and who are gay and all of that, we're talking about less than 5% of the actual population Way less in the that. United States. Yeah. So what is the whole point behind this? There's got to be a, a reason why we're, why the government feels the need to placate to this uh, small, very small minority of people. It's the sub it's the subdivision division, subdivision and subdivision, creating more and more interest groups to which they can pander. Uh, I wrote in that same chapter we discussed earlier about uh, uh, dump the phony issues. Uh, I argued not for or against gay marriage. In fact, at the end of the chapter, I asked, why would you want marriage? You know, that's a throwback to the church days. You can you can have your life and 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 nobody should stop you. But in addressing the politicians who get all worked up on whether or not you should have, you know, should let gay people live their lives the same as everybody else. I said, so Mary and Mildred want to get married. What do you care? You know, right. By railing against it, you're wasting valuable time about more important things we should be discussing. Right. But worse than that, in another context, say talking about uh, oil subsidies, you'd be sitting there kissing Mary and Mildred's butt right there out loud, just, you know, making them your ally. Uh, right. In, in, in pursuit of your policies. So in reality, you don't care very much either way, you know, and the system is set up. If you if your rights are violated. And 
we did need a Martin Luther King and, oh boy, to some extent, a Gloria Steinem, ouch, to, to advance the argument, but not to create women's rights or minority rights, but to address rights, period. And that's what the courts are for. That's the way the courts are built. We've taken the, the message of everybody getting the same rights and turned it into an us against them. And that makes us easier to manipulate. It makes us more ignorant. That's, I think that's the motivation. Yeah. But to that point, now we have, instead of just having one group against another group, now we got about 10 groups against 10 groups. Right. You know, so, so when, you, when you're talking about a voting block of people, most, trust me, most people, and I've been, I have been on the campaign trail since about 1980s, helping people in their um, endeavor to become an elected official. Um, and I will tell you that the majority more than the majority of voters are a one issue voter. And right. most of that issues is the pocketbook. Mm -hmm. it, it's either what am I going to get or I don't want to pay any more taxes. So, you know, you got those two kinds of voters. Yeah. Now today we got the um, abortion issue, which I have never thought should be a voting issue, but it is, and that's a that can be a, a, a discussion for another another sub another day. Um, but when you have a one issue voter who doesn't understand what government is really supposed to do, and only what this one candidate believes in or not believes in, then, like I said earlier, this is why we're getting the candidates that we're getting. And the other thing about the voting um, about candidates is when you have an incumbent, especially a, a someone who's been there for 10 or 15 years, nobody wants to run against them only because of one thing, because they don't think that they can raise the money Correct. to um, come out against what this person is doing. And it takes a lot of money. I mean, look at look at campaigns in the last 10 years. We're talking about yeah. millions of dollars. Millions and millions, tens of millions for offices that pay $180,000 a year. Right. Uh, which means they're not interested in the office. They're interested in the conduit to personal power. They're not there to take care of the voters. If that was their genuine motivation, it wouldn't require $40 million dollars. To become right. a senator, you know. Um, well, listen, um, and we're going to I think we're going to break this into a multi episode thing. I'll have you back. OK. So I'm going to call an audible here and uh, we have well over an hour of uh, raw video in the can. So that gives me a lot of okay. editing to do. So this will be. Um, what we pull out of this will be chat, uh, episode 18 of the P4B. 
And we will have Susan back in the next few weeks because there are several things. I mean, we didn't even, we barely touched the quotes I wanted to cover. And I do want to talk about uh, uh, some of the issues that, that Susan alluded to in, in, uh, uh, in other contexts. Um, but I'm hoping we can, we can gain a lot from these conversations. I think we can. So, uh, Susan, stick around and we'll call it for the P4B for this week. All righty. Thanks for visiting the P4B. Please make liberal use of all the buttons and links that support the podcast and help it grow. Send inquiries to Productions at gmail.com.